Story One of Cape Cod Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Cape Cod Stories by Joseph C. Lincoln. Story One Two Pairs of Shoes. I don't know exactly why Captain Jonadab and me went to the post office that night. We wa'n't expectin' any mail, that's sartin. I guess likely we done it for the reason the feller that tumbled overboard went to the bottom. Twas the handiest place to go. Anyway, we was there, and I was propping up the stove with my feet and holding down a chair with the rest of me when Jonadab heaves alongside flying distress signals. He had an envelope in his starboard mitten, and coming to anchor with a flop in the next chair, sets shifting the thing from one hand to the other as if it was red hot. I watched this performance for a spell, waiting for him to say something, but he didn't, so I hailed kind of sarcastic and says, What you doing? Playing solitaire? Which hand's ahead? He kind of woke up then, and passes the envelope over to me. Barzilla, he says, what in time do you suppose that is? Twas a queer-looking envelope, more'n the average length fore and aft, but kind of scant in the beam. There was a puddle of red sealing wax on the back of it with a D in the middle, and up in one corner was a kind of picture thing in colors with some printing in a foreign language underneath it. I believe t'was what they call a coat of arms, but it looked more like a patchwork comforter than it did like any coat ever I see. The envelope was addressed to Captain Jonadab Wixon, Orem, Massachusetts. I took my turn at twisting the thing around, and then I hands it back to Jonadab. I pass, I says. Where'd you get it? T'was in my box, says he. Must have come in tonight's mail. I didn't know the mail was sorted, but when he says that, I got up and went over and unlocked my box just to show that I hadn't forgot how, and I swan to man if there wa'n't another envelope just like Jonadab's, except that twas addressed to Barzilla Wingate. Hm, says I, coming back to the stove, you ain't the only one that's heard from the Prince of Wales. Look here. He was the most surprised man but one on the Cape. I was the one. We couldn't make head nor tail of the business, and set there comparing the envelopes and wondering who on earth had sent em. Pretty soon Illy Tucker heads over towards our moorings, and says he, What's troubling the ancient mariners? he says. Barzilla and me's got a couple of letters, says Captain Jonadab, and we was wondering who they was from. Tucker leaned away down, he's always suffering from a rush of funniness to the face, and he whispers awful solemn, For heaven's sake, whatever you do, don't open em, you might find out. Then he threw off his main hatch and haw-hawed like a loon. To tell you the truth, we hadn't thought of opening em, not yet, so that was kind of one on us, as you might say but Jonadab ain't so slow, but he can catch up with a hearse if the horses stop to drink, and he comes back quick. Ely, he says, looking troubled, you ought to sew reef points on your mouth. 
'Tain't safe to open the whole of it on a windy night like this. First thing you know you'll carry away the top of your head." Well, we felt considerable better after that, having held our own on the tack, so to speak, and we walked out of the post office and up to my room in the Traveller's Rest, where we could be alone. Then we opened up the envelopes, both at the same time. Inside of each of em was another envelope, slick and smooth as a mackerel's back, and inside of that was a letter, printed, but looking like the kind of writing that used to be in the copy-book at school. It said that Ebenezer Dillaway begged the honor of our presence at the marriage of his daughter Belle to Peter Theodosius Brown at Dillamede House, Cashmere on the Hudson, February 3, 1900, and so forth. We were surprised, of course, and pleased in one way, but in another way we went real tickled to death. You see, twas a good while since Jonadab and me had been to a wedding, and we know there be mostly young folks there, and a good many big bugs, we presumed likely, and twas going to cost considerable to get rigged, not to mention the price of passage and one thing and another. But Ebenezer had took the trouble to write us, and so we felt twas our duty not to disappoint him, and especially Peter, who had done so much for us managing the old home house. The old home house was our summer hotel at Wellmouth Port. How me and Jonadab come to be in the summer boarding trade is another story, and it's too long to tell now. We never would have been in it anyway, I calculate, if it hadn't been for Peter. He made a howling success of our first season, and likewise helped himself along by getting engaged to the star boarder, rich old Dillaway's daughter. Ebenezer Dillaway of the Consolidated Cash Stores. Well, we see twas our duty to go, so we went. I had a new Sunday cutaway and light pants to go with it, so I figured that I was pretty well found, but Captain Donadab had to pry himself loose from considerable money, and every cent hurt as if it was nailed on. Then he had chillblains that winter, and all the way over in the Fall River boat he was fumin' about them chillblains and addin' up on a piece of paper how much cash he'd spent. We struck Cashmere on the Hudson about three o'clock on the afternoon of the day of the weddin'. Twas a little country kind of town, smaller by a good deal than Orem, and so we calculated that perhaps after all the affair wouldn't be so everlasting tony. But when we hove inside a Dillamede, Ebenezer's place, we shortened sail and pretty nigh drew out of the race. Twas up on a high bank over the river, and the house itself was bigger than four old homes spliced together. It had a fair-sized township around it in the shape of land, with a high stone wall for trimming on the edges. There was trees, and places for flower-beds in summer, and the land knows what. We see right off that this was the real Cashmere on the Hudson. The village folks were stranded on the flats. Old Dillaway filled the whole ship channel. Well, I says to Jonadab, it looks to me as if we was getting out of soundings. What do you say to coming about and making a quick run for Orem again? But he wouldn't hear of it. Suppose I spent all that money on duds for nothing, he says. No, sir, by thunder, I ain't scared of Peter Brown, nor her that's going to be his wife, and I ain't scared of Ebenezer, neither. 
It's no matter if he does live in the manufacturer's building, with two or three thousand fathom of front fence, he says. Some years ago Jonadab got reckless and went on a cut-rate excursion to the World's Fair out in Chicago, and ever since then he's been comparing things with the manufacturer's building, or the Palace of Agriculture, or Streets of Cairo, or some other outlandish place. All right, says I, darn the torpedoes. Keep her as she is. You can fire when ready, Gridley. So we sought sail for what we judged was Ebenezer's front gate, and just as we made it, a man comes whistling round the bend in the path, and I'm blessed if it twa Peter T. Brown. He was rigged to kill, as usual, only more so. Hello, Peters, I says. Here we be. If ever a feller was surprised, Brown was that feller. He looked like he'd struck a rock where there was deep water on the chart. Well, I'll be, he begun, and then stopped. What in the— He commenced again, and again his breath died out. Finally, he says, is this you, or had I better quit and try another pipe? We told him twas us, and it seemed to me that he wa'n't nigh so tickled as he'd ought to have been. When he found we'd come to the wedding, Count of Ebenezer sending us word, he didn't say nothing for a minute or so. Of course we had to come, says Jonadab. We felt twouldn't be right to disappoint Mr. Dillaway. Peter kind of twisted his mouth. That's so, he says. It'll be worth more'n a box of diamonds to him. Do him more good than joinin' a don't-worry club. Well, come on up to the house and ease his mind. So we done it, and Ebenezer acted even more surprised than Peter. I can't tell you anything about the house nor the fixins in it. It beat me a mile, that house did. We had a room somewheres up on the hurricane deck with brass bunks and plush carpets and crocheted curtains and electric lights. I swan there was looking-glasses in every corner. Big ones, man's size. I remember Captain Jonadab hollering to me that night when he was getting ready to turn in. For the land's sakes, Barzilla, says he, turn out them lights, will you? I ain't over and above bashful, but them looking-glasses make me feel as if I was undressing along with all hands and the cook. The house was full of company, and more kept coming all the time. Swells, don't talk. We felt bout as much at home as a cow in a dory. But we was there, cause Ebenezer had asked us to be there. So we kept on the course and didn't signal for help. Travelin' through the rooms downstairs where the folks was, was a good deal like dodgin' icebergs up on the banks, but one or two noticed us enough to dip the colors, and one was real sociable. He was a kind of slow-spoken, city feller, dressed as if his clothes was poured over him, hot, and then left cool. His last name had a splice in the middle of it. Twas Catsby Stewart. Everybody, that is, most everybody, called him Phil. Well, sir, Phil cottoned to Jonadab and me right away. He'd get us, one on each wing, and go through that house asking questions. He pumped me and Jonadab dry about how we come to be there, and told us more yarns than a few about Dillaway and how rich he was. I remember he said that he only wished he had the keys to the cellar, so he could show us the money bins. Said Ebenezer was so just 
well rotten with money, as you might say, that he kept it in bins down cellar, same as poor folks kept coal. Gold in one bin, silver half dollars in another, quarters in another, and so on. When he needed any, he'd say to a servant, James, fetch me up a hod of change. This was only one of the fish yarns, he told. They sounded kind of scaly to Jonadab and me, but if we hinted at such thing, he'd pull himself together and say, Fact, I assure you, in a way to freeze your vitals. He seemed like such a good feller that we didn't mind his telling a few big ones. We'd known good fellers afore that liked to lie, gunners and such like, they were mostly. Somehow or another, Phil got Captain Jonadab talking boat, and when Jonadab talks boat, there ain't no stopping him. He's the smartest feller in a catboat that ever handled a tiller, and he's won more races than any man on the Cape. I calculate. Phil asked him and me if we'd ever sailed on an ice boat, and when we said we hadn't, he asked if we won't take a sail with him on the river next morning. We didn't want to put him to so much trouble on our account, but he said, I'm not at all. Pleasure be all mine, I assure you. Well, twas his for a spell, but never mind that now. He introduced us to quite a lot of the company, men mostly. He'd see a school of em in a corner or under a palm tree or somewheres, and steer us over in that direction and make us known to all hands. Then he began to show us off, so to speak, get Jonadab tellin' about the boats he'd sailed, or something like it, and them fellers would laugh and holler, but Phil's face wouldn't shake out a reef. He looked solemn as a funeral all the time. Jonadab and me begun to think we was making a great hit. Well, we was, but not the way we thought. I remember one of the gang gets Phil to one side after a talk like this, and whispers to him, laughing like fun. Phil says to him, My dear boy, I've been to thousands of these things, waving his flipper scornful round the premises, and upon honor they've all been alike. Now that I've discovered something positively original, let me enjoy myself. The entertainment by the heavenly twins is only begun. I didn't know what he meant then. I do now. The Marion was done about eight o'clock, and done with all the trimmings. All hands manned the yards in the best parlor, and Peter and Bell was hitched. Then they went away in a swell turnout, not like the derelict hacks we've seen stranded by the Cashmere Depot. And Jonadab pretty nigh took the driver's larboard ear off with a shoe Phil gave him to heave after him. After the wedding, the folks were sitting under the palms and bushes that was growing in tubs all over the house, and the stewards, there was enough of em to man a foremaster, was cotton round punch and frozen victuals. Everybody was togged up till Jonadab and me in our new cutaway felt like a couple of molten blackbirds at a blue jay camp meeting. Ebenezer was so busy, flying round like a pullet with its head off, that he'd hardly spoke to us since we landed. But Phil scarcely ever left us, so we went lonesome. Pretty soon he comes back from a beat into the next room, and he says, There's a lady here that's just dying to know you, gentlemen. Her name's Granby. Tell her all about the cape. She'll like it. And by the way, my dear feller, he whispers to Jonadab, 
If you want to please her er mightily, congratulate her upon her boy's success in the laundry business. You understand," he says, winking, "only son and self made man, don't you know." Mrs. Granby was roosting all by herself on a sofy in the parlor. She was fleshy, but terrible stiff and proud, and when she moved, the diamonds on her shook till her head and neck looked like one of them set pieces at the Fourth of July fireworks. She was deef, too, and used an ear trumpet pretty nigh as big as a steamer's ventilator. Maybe she was dying to know us, but she didn't have a fit trying to show it. Me and Jonadab felt we ought to be sociable, and so we sat, one on each side of her, on the sofa, and bellowed, How'd you do? And fine day, ain't it? into that ear trumpet. She didn't say much, but she'd couple on the trumpet and turn to whichever one of us had hailed, heeling over to that side as if a ballast had shifted. She acted to me kind of uneasy, but everybody that come into that parlor, and they kept piling in all the time, looked more middlin' joyful. They kept pretty quiet, too, so that every yell we let out echoed, as you might say, all round. I begun to get shaky at the knees, as if I was preaching to a big congregation. After a spell, Jonadab, not being able to think of anything more to say, and remembering Phil's orders, leans over and whoops into the trumpet, I'm glad your son done so well with his laundry, he says. Well, sir, Phil had give us to understand that them congratulations would make a hit, and they'd done it. The women round the room turned red, and some of them covered their mouths with their handkerchiefs. The men looked glad and set up and took notice. Ebenezer wa'n't in the room, which was a mercy, but your old messmate, Catesby Stewart, looked solemn as ever and never turned a hair. But as for old lady Granby, whew! She got redder'n she was afore, which was a miracle pretty nigh. She couldn't speak for a minute just cackled like a hen. Then she bursts out with, How dare you! and flounces out of that room like a hurricane. And it was still as could be for a minute, and then two or three of the girls began to squeal and giggle behind their handkerchiefs. Jonadab and me went away, too. We didn't flounce any to speak of. I guess a sneak would come nearer to telling how we quit. I see the captain heading for the stairs, and I fell into his wake. Nobody said good-night, and we didn't wait to give him a chance. Of course we knew we'd put our foot in it somewheres, but we didn't see just how. Even then we want really on to Phil's game. You see, when a green city's chap comes to old home house, and the land knows there's freaks enough to come, we always tried to make things pleasant for him, and the last thing we'd think of was making him a show of four folks so we couldn't believe even now twas done a purpose. But we was suspicious, a little. Barzilla, says Jonadab, getting ready to turn in, tain't possible that that feller with the sprained last name is having fun with us, is it? Jonadab, says I, I've been wondering that myself. And we wondered for an hour, and finally decided to wait a while and say nothing till we could ask Ebenezer. And the next morning one of the stewards comes up to our room with some coffee and grub, and says that Mr. Catesby Stewart requested the pleasure of our company on a, a four-breakfast ice-boat sail, 
and would meet us at the pier in half an hour. They didn't have breakfast at Ebenezer's till pretty close to dinner time, eleven o'clock, so we had time enough for quite a trip. Phil and the ice boat met us on time. I suppose it was style, but if I hadn't known I'd have swore he'd run short of duds and had dressed up in the bedclothes. I felt of his coat when he wa'n't noticing, and if it wa'n't made out of a blanket, then I never slept under one. And it made me think of my granddad to see what he had on his head, a regular nightcap, tassel and all. Phil said he was sorry we turned in so early the night before, said he'd planned to entertain us all the evening. We didn't hurrah much at this, being suspicious, as I said, and he changed the subject to ice-boats. That ice-boat was a bird. I calculated to know a boat when I sighted one, but a flat-iron on skates was something brand new. I didn't think much of it, and I could see that Jonadab didn't neither. But in about three shakes of a lamb's tail I was ready to take it all back and say I never said it. I'd done enough praying in the next half hour to square up for every Friday night meeting I'd missed since I was a boy. Phil got sail onto her, and we moved out kind of slow. Now then, says he, we'll take a little jaunt up the river. Of course, this isn't like one of your Cape Cod cats, but still. And then I dug my fingernails into the deck and commenced, now I lay me. Talk about going. Twas pssst, and we was a mile from home. Bzzzt, and we was just getting ready to climb a bank. But for she nosed the shore, Phil would put the helm over, and we'd whirl round like a windmill, with me and Jonadab biting the planking, and hanging on for dear life, and my heart, that had been up in my mouth, knocking the soles of my boots off. And Captain Catesby Stewart would grin and draw, "'Course this ain't like a Orem catboat, but she does fairly well, er, fairly. Now, for instance, how does this strike you?' It struck us. I don't think any got away. I expected every minute to land in the hereafter, and it got so that the prospect looked kinda invitin', if only to get somewhere where twas warm. That February wind went in at the top of my stiff hat and whizzed out through the legs of my thin Sunday pants till I felt for all the world like the ventilating pipe in an ice-chest. I could see why Phil was wearing the bedclothes. What I was suffering for just then was a feather mattress on each side of me. Well, me and Jonadab was it for quite a spell. Phil had all the fun, and I guess he enjoyed it. If he'd stopped right then, when the fishing was good, I calculate he'd have fetched port with a full hold. But no, he had to rub it in, so to speak, and that's where he slopped over. You know how tis when you're eating mince pie, it's the one more slice that fetches the nightmare. Phil stopped to get that slice. He kept whizzing up and down that river till Jonadab and me kind of got over our variousness. We could manage to get along without spreading out like porous plasters, and could set up for a minute or so on a stretch. T'wa'n't necessary for us to hold a special religious service every time the flat iron come about. Altogether, we was in that condition where the doctor might have held out some hopes. And in spite of the cold, we was noticing how Phil was sailing that three-cornered sneak-box, noticing and criticizing, 
At least I was, and Cap'n Jonadab, being, as I've said, the best skipper of small craft from Provincetown to Cohasset Narrows, must have had some ideas on the subject. Your old chum, Catesby Stewart, thought he was mast high so fur sailing was concerned, and anybody could see that, but he had something to larn. He wasn't beginning to get out all there was in that ice-boat, and just then along comes another feller in the same kind of hooker and gives us a hail. There was two other chaps in the boat with him. "'Hello, Phil!' he yells, rounding his flat iron into the wind abreast of ours and bobbing his nightcap. "'I hoped you might be out. Are you game for a race?' "'Archie,' answers our skipper, solemn as a setting hen, Permit me to introduce you to Captain Jonadab Wixon and Admiral Barzilla Wingate of Orem on the Cape. I wasn't expecting to fly an admiral's pennant quite so quick, but I managed to shake out through my teeth. They was chattering like a box of dice that I was glad to know the feller. Jonadab, he rattled loose something similar. The captain and the admiral, says Phil, having sailed the rage and main for lo these many years, are now favoring me with their advice concerning the navigation of ice-yachts. Archie, if you're willing to enter against such a handicap of brains and barnacles, I'll race you on a beat up to the point yonder, and then on the ten-mile run afore the wind to the buoy opposite the club, and back to the cove by Dillaway's, and we'll make it a case of wine. Is it a go? Archie, he laughed and said it was, and all at once the race was on. Now Phil had lied when he said we was a-favorin' him with advice, cause we hadn't said a word. But that beat up to the point, want half over a four, a Jonadab and me was dying to tell him a few things. He handled that boat like a lobster. Archie gained on every tack and came about for the run a full minute afore us. And on the run afore the wind twas worse than ever. The way Phil seesawed that piece of pie back and forth over the river was a sin and a shame. He could have slacked off his mainsail and headed dead for the buoy, but no, he jiggled around like an old woman crossing the road ahead of a funeral. Captain Jonadab was on edge. Racin' was where he lived, as you might say, and he fidgeted like he was settin' on a pincushion. By and by snaps out, Keep her off! Keep her off afore the wind! Can't you see where we're going? Phil looked at him as if he was a graven image, and all the answer he made was, Be calm, Barnacles! Be calm! But pretty soon I couldn't stand it no longer, and I bust out with, Keep her off, Mr. What's-Your-Name! For the Lord's sake, keep her off! He'll beat the life out of you! And all the good that done was for me to get a stare that was colder than the wind, if such a thing's possible. But Jonadab got fidgety every minute, and when we come out into the broadest part of the river, within a little ways of the buoy, he couldn't stand it no longer. "'You're spilling half the wind,' he yells. "'Panter for the buoy, or else you'll be licked to death. Jibber so she gets it full. Jibber, you lubber. Don't you know how? Here, let me show you.' And the next thing I knew he fetched a hop like a frog, shoved Phil out of the way, grabbed the tiller, and jammed it over. She jibbed. Oh, yes, she jibbed. If anybody says she didn't, you send them to me. I give you my word that the flat-iron jibbed twice, once for practice, I judge, and then for business. 
She commenced by twisting and squirming like an eel. I jest had sense enough to clamp my mittens onto the little brass rail by the stern and hold on. Then she jibbed the second time. She stood up on two legs. The boom come over with a slat that pretty nigh took the mast with it, and the whole shebang whirled round as if it had forgot something. I have a foggy kind of remembrance of locking my mitten clamps fast onto that rail, while the rest of me streamed out in the air like a burgee. Next thing I knew we was scooting back towards Dillaway's, with the sail catching every ounce that was blowing. Jonadab was braced across the tiller, and there behind us was the Honorable Philip Catesby Stewart, flat on his back, with his blanket legs looking like a pair of compasses and skimming in whirligigs over the slick ice towards Albany. He hadn't had nothing to hold on to, you understand. Well, if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed that a human being could spin so long, or travel so fast on his back. His legs made a kind of smoky circle in the air over him, and he'd got such a start I thought he'd never stop a-going. He come to a place where some snow had melted in the sun, and there was a pond, as you might say, on the ice, and he went through that, even spray like one of them circular lawn sprinklers the summer folks have. He'd have been as pretty as a fountain if we'd had time to stop and look at him. "'For the land's sakes, heave to!' I yelled, soon as I could get my breath. "'You spilled the skipper!' "'Skipper be derned!' howls Jonadab, squeezing the tiller and keeping on the course. "'We'll come back for him by and by. It's our business to win this race.' And by ginger, we did win it. The way Jonadab coaxed that cocked hat on runners over the ice was pretty. Yes, sir, pretty.' He nipped her close enough to the winnard, and he took advantage of every single chance. He always could sail, I'll say that for him. We walked up to Archie like he'd set down to rest and passed him afore he was within a half mile of home. We run up a breast of Dillaways, putting on all the fancy frills of a liner coming into port, and there was Ebenezer and a whole crowd of wedding company down by the landing. "'Gosh!' says Jonadab, tugging at his whiskers. "'Twas Cape Cod against New York that time, and you can't beat the Cape when it comes to getting over water, not even if the water's froze. Hey, Barzilla!' Ebenezer came hopping over the ice towards us. He looked some surprised. "'Where's Phil?' he says. Now, I clean forgot Phil, and I guess Jonadab had, by the way he colored up. "'Phil?' says he. "'Phil?' Oh, yes, uh, we left him up the road a piece. Maybe we'd better go after him now. But old Dillaway had something to say. Cap'n, he says, looking round to make sure none of the company was following him out to the ice-boat, I've wanted to speak to you afore, but I haven't had the chance. You mustn't believe too much of what Mr. Catesby Stewart says, nor you mustn't always do just what he suggests. You see, he says, He's a dreadful practical joker. Yes, says Jonadab, beginning to look sick. I didn't say nothing, but I guess I look the same way. Yes, said Ebenezer, kind of uneasy-like. Now, in that matter of Mrs. Granby, I suppose Philip put you up to asking her about her son's laundry? Yes? Well, I thought so. You see, the fact is, her boy's a broker down in Wall Street, and he's been caught making some of what they call wash sales of stock. 
It's against the rules of the exchange to do that, and the papers have been full of the row. You can see, says Dillaway, how the laundry question kind of stirred the old lady up. But, Lord, it must have been funny, and he commenced to grin. I looked at Jonadab, and he looked at me. I thought of Marm Granby and her being dying to know us, and I thought of the lies about the harder change and all the rest, and I give you my word I didn't grin, not enough to show my wisdom teeth, anyhow. A crack in the ice an inch wide would have held me with room to spare. I know that. Hmm, grunts Jonadab, kind of dry and bitter, as if he'd been taking wormwood tea. I see. He's been having a good time making dern fools out of us. Well, says Ebenezer, not exactly that, perhaps, but— And then along comes Archie and his crowd in the other ice-boat. Hi, he yells, who sailed that boat of yours? He knew his business all right. I never saw anything better. Phil, why, where is Phil? I answered him, Phil got out when we jibbed, I says. Was that Phil? he hollers, and then the three of em just roared. Oh, by Jove, you know, says Archie, that's the funniest thing I ever saw. And on Phil, too. He'll never hear the last of it at the club, hey, boys? And then they just bellered and laughed again. When they'd gone, Jonadab turned to Ebenezer, and he says, That taking us out on his boat was another case of having fun with a countryman, hey? I guess so, says Dillaway. I believe he told one of the guests that he was going to put Cape Cod on ice this morning. I looked away up the river, where a little black speck was just getting to shore, and I thought of how chilly the wind was out there, and how that ice-water must have felt, and what a long way twas from home. And then I smiled, slow and wide, and there was a barge-load of joy in every inch of that smile. It's a cold day when Phil loses a chance for a joke, says Ebenezer. Tain't exactly what you'd call summary just now, I says. And we hauled down sail, run the ice-boat up to the wharf, and went up to our room to pack our extension cases for the next train. You see, says Jonadab, putting in his other shirt, it's easy enough to get the best of cape folks on wash sails and lion, but when it comes to boats— that's a different pair of shoes. I guess Phil agree with you, I says. End of story one.